Welcome back to Big Time Dicks, the show where we take a closer look at the laws and lawmakers fucking up your life. I'm Joanna Rothkopf, managing editor at Jezebel, and Prachi is out this week. So joining us are Big Time Dicks regulars, features editor Kelly Stout. Hello. Hi. And Splinter staff writer Katie McDonough. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for Hi. having us. Joanna. (laughs) So this week, Donald Trump is on a diplomatic mission to Asia. He's visiting many countries. This weekend, he was in Japan, and he met with Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, and they visited this very famous koi pond. (laughs) And so a video started circulating of Donald Trump standing next to Abe, dumping an entire (laughs) box of fish food into the koi pond. Can you hear the fish food hitting the water? You can't in this video. Can you hear the grotesque, like, mouth opening of the huge koi fish, which I find to be, like, really troubling to look at when I see it. The opening of their maws. You can't. You can't see any of this, but you can see Trump and Shinzo Abe not talking. That you can see them, like, like gesticulating about the fish, but, like, their mouths aren't moving. How would you feel if Donald Trump came and overfed your, like, $7,000 fish. Okay. Probably mad. I'd be mad. Definitely. However, so that was the narrative that was circulating at first, but then the whole video surfaced. And we saw that Abe had actually become so tired of spoon feeding this like fish food next to Donald Trump or Donald Trump wasn't doing anything but being like, wow, fish, (laughs) that he also kind of dumped his box in first and Donald Trump was just following. I mean, my interpretation is that's because Donald Trump is so hard to be around. I think it's actually kind of refreshing that they don't pretend. Like, I think that, like, it's falling away, this illusion that all of the world leaders are friends. Right? God, I thought you were going to say that uh, this illusion that, like, presidents are kind to fish <laughs> in normal amounts is falling away. Well, I And finally, the illusion is being shattered. <laughs> Thank God that koi eat normally. falling away. Yeah. <laughs> to- shattering just koi body image. Yeah. <laughs> it's been long enough. Yeah, it's time to let the koi live. They eat in like tiny little teaspoons. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm so dainty. Oh, <laughs> I'm just like I'm a girl. Already. I love yogurt. <laughs> I just opened my big weird mouth two, only two times, and now I'm full. <laughs> <laughs> That's me every time I eat a salad. <laughs> yeah. Okay, this week we're doing something different. We're not going to have one specific dick. We're going to go through the week in weenies. We've all brought one weenie to the table that we think deserves to be the weenie of the week. Okay, Katie, would you like to present your weenie first? Yes. Um, I think every week it's really difficult to choose because it's so bad all the time, every day, every minute. Yeah. Um, but one of the, I think, really bad things that happened last week was um, Steve King, a representative, Republican representative from Iowa, introduced or at least held a initial hearing on an abortion ban that would ban the procedure at six weeks, which, mm-hmm. as many people have pointed out, is uh, before most people will know that they are pregnant in the first place. And I didn't say this beforehand, but Steve King was a weenie last week too because of this, but the hearing hadn't been held yet. Okay, so, so he I deserves then, to have it again. Like, in order to, to redeem my repetition, I'll say that the specifics of how the hearing went maybe, like, distinguish him a little bit more I this week. I definitely agree. I think that, like, one of the things that was really interesting to me about a lot of the writing that I saw about this specific abortion ban and the hearing on it was some analysis that was like, don't be fooled by the six-week ban. It's really just a trick so that the 20-week ban seems more moderate, which I understand that point. I think that it's important for us to pay attention to all kinds of consequential anti-abortion legislation 
conversation. But I think that that gives too much credit to Steve King as somehow being a strategic thinker or not somehow wanting abortion to be banned this early. He laid that out pretty clearly in the hearing where he talked about not only the fact that, like, should abortion be banned at the moment of conception. Science cannot precisely pinpoint the incident of conception, but the ultrasound proves beyond any doubt that life is present every time there is a heartbeat. But that, like, the judicial landscape is changing and that there are judges being appointed across the country to lower benches and also just the great kind of prize of the Supreme Court and potentially having more vacancies there is going to change the calculus about what kinds of laws can move forward. It is important that Congress passes such a strong pro-life bill now because President Trump will hopefully appoint one or two more justices to the Supreme Court, making this a profound moment in the pro-life movement. So it wasn't like, ah, ha, 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 we're going to trick anti-choice Democrats into supporting this 20-week ban. It was like, let's just see if we can get it all. It's also crazy to think that that would work. Like the idea that a 20-week ban would ever be okay with people all of a sudden is a little bit crazy to me. Just just with on an issue like abortion, there isn't, it isn't really like that. Yeah. And like the lines on this are pretty clearly drawn already. So it's not like I feel like anybody's going to be like, well, if it's between this and six weeks you know, I guess I'll go with 20. Like, that's, I don't think how it works. I totally agree. I definitely agree that that's not how it works. Not how it works. Speaking of compromises, it's, now that was a good segue. That was a really Whoa. good segue. Um, <laughs> Do it. Kelly, now it's time for your weenie. <laughs> I didn't mean to cut you off. Though. No, I was No, these done. weenies are rapid fire. Yeah, we're doing like the round. moment you said compromise. I was like, oh, yes, I've got the best seg. <laughs> I segue? Yes. Yeah, I like seg too. Uh, something probably that you guys don't know, listeners, is we actually record these on segues. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah. okay. Speaking of compromises, John Kelly, who's the White House chief of staff, went on Laura Ingram's show last week, and we taped the show on Monday mornings. And so this happened like right after we taped the show. So we couldn't deal with this last week. But basically, the takeaway from what he said was that Robert E. Lee was an honorable man, which um, uh, Robert E. Lee wasn't an honorable man. That's false. And he said that the lack of an ability to compromise was part of what led to the Civil War. The the lack of an ability to compromise uh, led to the Civil War. And uh, men and women of good faith on both sides made their stand. Which is now like a talking point. Yeah, Yeah, it is. So in the the life cycle. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Yeah. So in the life cycle of like, unlike most of the things that we talk about on this show, we've gotten to see this evolve over the course of the week in the press. And it went from like... No, slavery caused the Civil War, which, like, is correct, to a bunch of headlines. If you Google John Kelly, Robert E. Lee today, what comes up is, actually, he was right about a few things, which is exhausting. I hate that. So for my weenie, I have, I'm bringing to you not only John Kelly, but also the Wall Street Journal and a bunch (laughs) of conservative outlets who are like, well, actually, um, and well, actually, Robert E. Lee is a terrible look. And I don't want to, I don't want to debunk these points because they don't feel worthy of it to me. That's my weenie. The conservative press that is well, actually, John Kelly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's time for my weenie, um, who is Rick Perry, who is, no stranger to being a weenie. He is the energy secretary, as we all know, after having no experience generally with like energy or anything that the job entails. He was recently in South Africa. He was there to represent the U.S. at Africa Oil Week. 
I blogged about this. I take issue with a number of statements that he take said. Take us through it. Okay. <laughs> Quick, a a swift guide through. First, he says, I just got back from Africa. That's not a country. Could it have escaped him which country he was in? Just your best guess. I'm sure sure he had no idea what country he was in. I'm sure someone said Africa. And he's like, "Mm -hmm." Mm mm-hmm. I didn't ask (laughs) what country he was in. Okay. He was in South Africa. This quote, by the way, he said it at a discussion about energy policy between him, Chuck Todd, and Axios CEO Jim Vandehei. Um, Anyway, so at the end of this discussion, he said, Let me tell you where people are dying. Is in Africa because of the lack of energy that they have there. Number one. (laughs) Okay. But also, this is definitely an, an example of like how so many people in public office are unable to hold multiple ideas in their head at once. The point <laughs> is where people are dying is in Africa, but it is also is in the United States, is in Europe, is in other places. Okay, and then he says... And it's going to take fossil fuels to push power out into those villages in Africa. First, say the name of the country, you butthead. Second, fossil fuels is not the only way to make light, as we know. Right. But that's his thing. OK. Then he's like, there's a conversation going on in the United States about sexual assault. Let me push my agenda into that conversation. He thought he had a good seg. He thought he had an amazing Wrong. seg. Wrong. Should have come to the master <laughs> yeah. for advice on his seg. He should have asked you. So the Literally main quote people, is. But also from the standpoint of sexual assault, when the lights are on, when you have light, it shines the the righteousness, if you will, of, of on, on those types of acts. So from the standpoint of how you really affect people's lives, fossil fuels is going to play a role in that. I happen to think it's going to play a positive role. Okay, so, I mean, it's, like, stupid for him to be, like, when there's light, there's less sexual assault because there's always sexual assault. But I get what he's saying, like, dark roads, like, it increases safety. But, like, fossil fuels has nothing to do with this. Also, I think that it's... um. Very racist to say that Africa is dark. Definitely. Which is what he's saying. First of all, the continent of Africa has many large cities that are well lit. (laughs) It has many small towns that are well lit. A variety of different countries that he's not thinking of. A continent's worth of countries. The idea that an entire continent is a bunch of tiny villages that don't have light is the most colonialist thinking imaginable. I'm dumbfounded. And also just the like part about the fact that like there are consequences to like material deprivation, largely things that are a consequence of like United States and global intervention and like a legacy of colonialism. There are real problems that we can talk about, none of which Rick Perry should be leading on or having any input into actually like. People all over the world are suffering because of, like, material deprivation. People in the United States are suffering because of material deprivation. And Rick Perry is not the voice that I want to hear on any of it. Certainly not. Any of it. He, I mean, his main thing is, like, let me, like, simplify an entire continent, an entire history of colonization and colonialism and all of the complicated problems that come from that into my talking point about how fossil fuels are good and they will stop sexual assault. Also, the reason he's talking about sexual assault is because it's in the news cycle so much. And the reason that it's in the news cycle so much is because of Harvey Weinstein. So him trying to connect that to lack of material wealth in rural areas we need, is um, fossil the craziest f- shit 
fossil fuel investment in the Soho Grand um, <laughs> yeah. so that light, it can be a more exactly. illuminated building. Right. <laughs> Bingo. Exactly. I think like this story, though, was one of the ones I feel like all of us make small choices every week to kind of let certain things just pass you. So the Rick Perry, when I saw the headline, what that was, I was like, I didn't want to know specifics about why fossil fuels would, uh, but so I'm glad to know more about the story now. But last week, I made the small choice to not know what Rick Perry had said. Boy, I made the exact opposite I, choice. I too made the opposite choice. I was like, let's go head into this. That's fair. I dug, I dug head right first. in. I'm cover- I covered my body in it. Joanna did a close ha- reading line by line of I it. And I did too, reading. because sometimes there is a great pleasure that comes in dismantling <laughs> something no, <totally>. systematically. <laughs> and I'm grateful for that work. And I'm grateful to have been walked through it right now. But. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad. This weekend, this is like a hard thing to talk about in like the tone of this podcast, but there was a shooting in Sutherland Springs, Texas at a Baptist church and it killed at least 26 people. They identified the gunman as Devin Patrick Kelly. He's a 26-year-old. So he was court-martialed in 2012 on charges of assaulting his wife and child and then sentenced to 12 months confinement. And then it ultimately in 2012 received a bad conduct discharge. So in response to this shooting, which is the next in a series of mass shootings this year, Donald Trump said basically the unaltered text of the Republican talking point of what happens when a white guy shoots up something. We have a lot of mental health problems in our country, as do other countries. But this isn't a guns situation. I mean, we could go into it, but it's a little bit soon to go into it. But fortunately, somebody else had a gun that was shooting in the opposite direction. Otherwise, it would have been as bad as it was. It would have been much worse. But uh, this is a mental health problem at the highest level. Anyone could have said the exact text of what he said. Like essentially in the same breath as repealing any hope for people who have mental illnesses, getting any sort of help or safety net. Exactly. Donald Trump From and no his Republican. Paul Ryan specifically, who also loves yeah. this talking point and yes. it's about mental health. Also, people um, who have severe mental illness, I feel like I like pointing this out every time, are more li- likely to be victims of violence than they are to be perpetrators of violence, which is why I feel that like this is always a really particularly harmful dodge when people like Donald Trump and Paul Ryan say it, because it doesn't explain the scale and scope of the violence as we see it every but, time. But something that does explain the scale and scope of the violence is the link to domestic violence. In June of 2017, Katie who was sitting next to me, wrote Disarm All Domestic Abusers Now. And you wrote it in response to the shooting at the baseball practice. A barrage of gunfire at a baseball field right outside Washington, D.C. As Republican members of Congress practiced for their annual game against the Democrats. Law enforcement officers shouting at the suspect. 66-year-old James T. Hodgkinson. It's, like, hard to keep track because most mass shootings that happen with, 
like what feel like regular frequency usually do have this in common that the person who commits the crime and commits the murders, uh, usually a white uh, man, usually has a history of domestic violence or family violence um, somewhere in his record, whether or not he was ever actually, you know, convicted or prosecuted for doing it. Um, and so this is the case that we see again. Um and I think, you know, we're still learning more about what happened here. But at this point, it seems that the police themselves are also acknowledging that, like, this was a domestic violence adjacent crime um, and that apparently uh, the shooter had been sending threatening texts to his mother-in-law. And that was her church. And that was her church. So I think the weird thing about this is that we tend to only talk about this when it is connected to a mass shooting. But the reality of, like, domestic violence homicide and the kind of daily violence that women in abusive relationships face and the unique terror they face with when their abuser has a gun, that kind of violence is way more pervasive and daily than these specific mass shootings that like are usually the reason that we talk about it. A response to that is often, doesn't it help if the woman has a gun too? Usually, this is the counterpoint, right? Where conservatives or like gun absolutists will say that like women need to arm themselves as a way to defend themselves against men who are abusive. I think that that's wrongheaded for a number of reasons, just because like look at examples like what happened with Marissa Alexander in Florida, who was a woman who tried to use a firearm to protect herself against her abusive partner. She fired a warning shot um, and was not able to invoke um, stand your ground or castle doctrine or all the kinds of laws. And this is a non-fatal shooting. This was a this was a just a warning shot fired into I think it was the ceiling or the wall. And she was arrested and jailed for that and tried to invoke all of the kinds of things that usually white men are able to invoke when they either shoot or harm or kill someone under these circumstances. So I would just also say that we don't have gun laws um, that actually reflect the ways in which women might use guns, even if they could use guns safely, which I believe actually is, is a really small possibility. Like arming yourself, the data does show, does not minimize the likelihood of violent crime. I mean, this talking point is already coming up in the case of Sutherland because there was a neighbor who overheard the shooting and came out to the church and fired shots at the shooter um, and hit him. Um, he didn't kill him. Law enforcement is still trying to figure out what killed him, um, possibly a car wreck. Um, but this man is sort of being hailed as a hero. And he, and he is a hero. I mean, no doubt he is a hero. Except that he's also sort of a convenient talking point, mm-hmm. which is difficult for people who favor gun control laws because this guy came out with a different sort of weapon and a, it was a different circumstance. He, I'm still trying to figure out what to make of that. I think one of the things that feels, and it's like in such recent memory because it was just the Las Vegas shooting, which was so recently. Um, But one of the things that um, members, I think it was either of the stage crew or of the band of one of the performers who was present at that show said that the thing that felt so complicated about that night is that even though some of the members of that entourage were armed, they were so scared about being one, mistaken themselves for the shooter and creating like more chaos and violence for law enforcement or and also just not knowing where the shots were coming from. They had no idea where they would fire. So basically you had people who armed themselves, who carry weapons on themselves regularly, admitting that like in the chaos of a situation like that, that the guns didn't provide a measure of protection. It didn't help. And I think that like you, like the way that we talk about guns kind of, I remember I was in Iowa, it was like last year for a women's like 
this like all women's shooting league and they were there to learn about laser sights that you like put on your gun so that you don't have to use like the iron sight on your gun that just requires you to like line up the shot. And like the introductory, I mean, it was like a sales pitch basically, but even the people who were like armed and like experienced shooters in that room were like, if you are like your adrenaline is running and you're nervous or it's dark or it's whatever, the kind of like your ability to be accurate in where you fire is so limited in these situations. And I think that these are even like practiced gun owners who are conceding the point that like in moments of panic and crisis, like the gun doesn't necessarily make you safer. In fact, sometimes it can be a real danger and liability. This Um, makes me think then that a good guy with a gun is actually just a talking point. And not reflective of oh, it reality. Makes you think that just now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I never thought of it that way. But mm-hmm. yeah. there was this like researcher <laughs> at Harvard um, who I interviewed a few years ago about this because I've been writing the same story for like I think like all of the four years or five it's years now that I've been in journalism. And um, she put it kind of succinctly, and I appreciated this, uh, was just that where there are more guns, more women die. Like every data point um, that we have, all of the evidence it just points to the same fact, which is that where there are more guns, more women die. This next item is completely the opposite of what we were just talking about. We what chose a relief. It, it, what, I mean, yeah, we chose it because it's just kind of like gossipy and people b- behaving badly and like everybody kind of looks bad in this story. Spill the tea, girl. <laughs> Last week, Politico published an excerpt of Donna Brazil's forthcoming memoir. Donna Brazil was former interim chairman of the DNC, chairwoman, and she had to step down amidst revelations that she had provided Hillary Clinton with CNN debate topics ahead of time, but she's still involved. She has this memoir. It's called Hacks, the inside story of the break-ins and breakdowns that put Donald Trump in the White House. They published this excerpt in Politico. In the excerpt, it kind of outlines the deal that the Clinton campaign struck with the DNC, specifically with Robbie Mook, former Hillary Clinton campaign manager, giving the Clinton primary campaign a lot of control over the Democratic National Committee. More like Robbie suck. (laughs) You've been planning that this whole time? Sitting on it. Nice. It's good. I liked it. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Donna Brazil thinks the primary was rigged against Bernie Sanders. Well, so she alludes to that. Yeah. And this has been the takeaway from all the people who like Bernie and think Bernie would have won. Or who just hate Democrats. Yeah, or who hate Hillary Clinton. I mean, like Republican. Like Donald Trump also thinks that it was rigged against. The Venn diagram here. The Venn diagram of everyone who's just like enthusiastic about this potential revelation is, is wide and unsafe Yeah. So um, <laughs> there was another report that said w- from the memoir where Donna Brazil says that she seriously considered replacing Hillary Clinton as the nominee with Joe Biden after Hillary fainted and did that like kind of stumble after the 9-11 memorial service. 
And then everyone is under two months away from Election Uh, Day. And then everyone is responding. Some people are like, nobody should. Tom Perez is like, nobody should have who's the current president of the current chairman of the DNC says nobody should have the illusion that we're biased or like in the can for a specific candidate, whether or not it's true. Basically, everybody's mad at each other. For me, the whole story, I'm having trouble um, really uh, summarizing it succinctly in a in a way that I know it's my job to do. Um, But Basically, it's very indicative for me why the Democratic Party is suffering so much because everybody has the biggest ego of all time. Donna Brazil so clearly wants attention. Everyone is feuding. Nobody's paying attention to the Democrats because they have no power. And so instead, they're infighting and publishing books about their infighting and then infighting about the publication of their books about their infighting. I think she wants to seem not bad. (laughs) in a bad thing that happened. I think the thing that feels weird is that like there are all these different camps who kind of are coming at this information in different and unsavory and weird ways. But like fundamentally what happened is horrifying and anti-democratic and important to know about. Potentially like not after a presidential election happened. Um, I think that like it's weird to like find a potentially like maybe more even keeled read on this because I think everybody's coming at it guns blazing with their like primary positions kind of like wearing them as their t-shirts or something. (laughs) But uh, I think that like the revelations that had been coming out that like a lot of this is not new information, but some of it is kind of new and it's bad. Like this is not how it should work. And I think that like the general uh, like bankrupting of the state coffers that like actually could like put up good candidates that like maybe would remake the composition of the country looks like so that it's not just a nightmarish thing of like Tea Party psychos who like want to starve people through austerity, but also make those same people have as many babies as they can become pregnant with. Like those things are like important I mean, I think Tom Perez has a good point when he says that this is undermining people's faith in the, like, nominating process. I mean, we have a problem getting people to vote in the primaries to begin with. To undermine that is so disheartening to me. Yeah. Like, and to, what's the point? <laughs> and for there to be no person emerging from all of this being like, oh, they're trustworthy. They're actually, like, they have some views outside themselves or some concern for something outside themselves. And how they were specifically personally implicated in the 2016 election. I also think that this, I mean, this is sort of old, but a few months ago, there was all this discussion of how, oh, it may be that we don't need abortion rights to be a litmus test for Democrats. Like, what is the point of being a Democrat? (laughs) What, if you're having an erosion of what it means to be a part of a party and to adopt the platform of that party while at the same time there's an erosion of the way that the party functions, it's sort of starting to just exist as a plaything for important people as opposed to a way to actually have the positions of voters articulated in an organized way. And to have those two things happen at once is like... They're so dumb. It's, I think this is like... <laughs> they're the, so dumb. The like, if you want to be like, what's the takeaway here? And it's like the DNC is so dumb and so... Uh, corrupt. It feels so silly to say this, but it's like, it's corrupt. It's just corrupt. Um, and they're <laughs> exactly not learning. the moment it should be the, a pillar of moral. And they're not learning any lessons from what happened. Like Donald Trump is president. Every day I wake up and for like a second, I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe Donald Trump is president. It like motivates so much of the way that people are like conducting themselves now. And I think really important ways. The DNC, on the other hand, is like, Donald Trump is president, but it's not 
having to do with anything that we did. (laughs) It's extremely like if you think of like a bad action comedy or like a parlor drama or something where there's some very big villain or like some big disaster that is about to happen. But then you have like these comic relief characters on the (laughs) side in the side of a room, like one of them's looking in a mirror and then one of them gets in a fight because someone called them ugly. And then they start like fighting a lot. And then we need like a hero, like the hero of the movie to be like, shut up. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do know what you're talking about. I do, however, take issue with the idea that the DNC caused this. It caused Donald Trump to be president. Like, I think that it absolutely played a role and they're doing nothing Mm -hmm. to put forward a um, appealing alternative to Trump's ethos. However, I don't think that like infighting in the DNC and infighting within the party is really what compelled this like outpouring of racism that people were so comfortable expressing through their votes that got Donald Trump elected. Like, I really think that there are a lot of low information voters out there that don't know who Tom Perez is or Donna Brazil is. And so this gossip is fun, but like, I don't know that most people who felt moved by Donald Trump's message were even... I I recognize how arrogant this sounds, what I'm saying. (laughs) I get that, but I also stand by it because I think that most people don't have a good sense of what's going on in the party workings, but they do have a good sense of who has a compelling message. So I think that they're, you know, they have to take the heat for not having a compelling message because they've been battling each other. However, I do think that our takeaway shouldn't be the Democratic Party needs to be more organized to defeat Trump, I think the takeaway should be like, wow, Trump's message is like really compelling. And the Democrats, I'm not certain that there was anything the Democrats could have done. I'm not a Bernie would have won kind of girl. (laughs) In other words. I also don't know if it's like (laughs) worth talking about like what they could have done or what they should have done. I think it's more worth it to talk about like what they have to do. What they have to do. And they're so distracted by this infighting and being like, Donna's account is wrong and my account is right and this is what happened and that's what happened and let let it, everyone from the Hillary Clinton campaign sign a letter saying that Donna's account isn't correct and it's more <laughs> right. about like is this really the best use of our time right now and they could be like forming a cohesive message that comes out of maybe the women's convention or co- or something that stands a chance of rivaling the very clear racist, bigoted Trump message that everyone is loving. That should be easy to ride. I feel like it should be. Yeah. I mean, I think like where like I think we can all agree is that like like no one should give a shit. I feel sad that I like know anybody's name in the DNC because I shouldn't. It's so embarrassing that this is information that like (laughs) lives in my head or whatever. But like what their job is fundamentally is to cultivate candidates who are going to rise through like different positions in like local and then state and then national government who are going to be able to like make that like make the case right for the party. And so like the kind of entire systematic failure to do that. And like I think that what we have seen is like the suppression of actually some of the voices that could have been able to like make a counterpoint of like, hey, here's a message that I think that we can resonate around. And it's not the like, I don't know, you see this weird bullshitty blowback that's like, we got to stop talking about like the social stuff and only talk about the economic stuff as if those two things are different and they're totally not. So I feel like just a lot of fucking dummy people are getting (laughs) shit wrong right now. And I am like uh, not super heartened by what the DNC thinks its lessons are right now. Because I'm also not heartened by the way they're functioning. Yeah. I mean, a party is supposed to be a platform for 
politicians. Not we're not supposed to know Donna Brazile's name, yeah. really. Um, I mean, that's I suppose on some level anti-democratic not to know who's running the party. But if the party's running correctly, what it does is provides a platform for people yeah. who actually represent the communities they're from. It's the no makeup look, right? Where it's yeah. like if you do <laughs> no makeup, makeup and yes. then you're like, oh my God, what? You're it, not just like naturally radiant. And it's like, oh my God, what? You're not just like naturally super well organized and like creating like community-based coalitions. They're going to like DNC uplift The is supposed to be the highlighter on the brow right. of a good candidate. You said it. The Jezebel angle. <laughs> Here it is. Now, our third item, we're running out of time. So here's what we're gonna do. Everyone has their hands on their hips. They're all ready. We're all going to, um, no, Kelly is going to tell us in 30 seconds everything that she knows about the Paradise Papers. Levi, are you going to set the timer for 30 seconds? Set. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay, everyone. Ready. Hands on hips. We're all ready to learn. Kelly's ready to teach. Ready? You know it. Steady. Go. Start the clock out. Okay. <laughs> um, the Paradise Papers um, are the uh, result of this huge hack of all these um, offshore banking entities um, in Bermuda. And it has uh, revealed that there are all these English people who were previously thought to be really great who have been um, banking offshore and thereby relieving their tax burden. And among these people are the Queen of England. What? Hello. <laughs> and... Um, Bono. You're done. <laughs> oh, that's, that's all I got out. I didn't you even get to talk about Bono. Jared Kushner. <laughs> Jared Kushner. Also, Wilbur Ross. I know. Connected there was so much more to talk about. It's so oh, weird man. Also, Jared Justin Kushner. Trudeau's like main advisor. Uh, uh, there's right. so much going on. Twitter and Facebook were involved. Oh, It'd be fun oh, well. to like draw a web that like connects all of them. Like Jared Kushner has you two on his iPhone. And <laughs> yeah. he was listening to it on his way to meet the Queen of England. I love that. Yeah, I love that too. Yeah. Wait, I can't remember the name of the company whose ta- whose files were compromised. Applebee. Real? It's called Applebee. That's what it is. <laughs> Apple Not Applebee's, Even but Applebee. In the neighborhood because you have laundered your money and avoided <laughs> yes. a significant tax burden. <laughs> that is the takeaway. <laughs> That's the takeaway. We're going to get sued by Applebee's, aren't we? Oh, uh, man. What's his yeah. name from um, Sex in the City? He's going to sue you specifically. And Ooh. me also. Aiden, he does the voiceover for Applebee's, I thought. No. What? Yeah, he does. <laughs> he does a lot. He, he does, does a lot. He's a def- He's definitely a working actor. Still. I think he does Dwayne Reed, and I think he does Applebee's. I'm very good at identifying the voices of celebrity voiceover actors because I think it's wrong, and I don't think they should take those jobs. Why? Why? They have other jobs. They don't have that many other jobs. Not Aiden. They have to make money. Aiden doesn't get work. When was the last time you saw Aiden in a movie? Okay. Do we not think that Aiden made enough money off of Sex in the City that I some, think he spent it all. Some this is all contained in the Paradise Papers. <laughs> some down and out voiceover actor who just wishes that they could catch a break is like Aiden again. Aiden again. Isn't that sort of like saying Jennifer Lawrence should never be in a movie again because other people need money? I mean, I, I'm not gonna <laughs> like not, why Aiden until I hear a compelling case. <laughs> yeah, I don't or, or Aiden against. is the subject of this. Aiden is not that successful of an actor. No offense, I love him. I find him very charming. Um, but what about someone like John Hamm? I'm gonna just I'm planting my flag here. <laughs> I don't think that celebrities should do voiceover work. I think it's unfair. I think other people should get those jobs because they already have jobs. 
Look, if I'm never welcomed back to big time dicks, I want everyone to why. know that this is why and hold Joanna and Kelly accountable for what they've done. Katie is being dragged screaming from the room. <laughs> Not Levi, screaming. Let go of me. I won't be silenced. week on our show we take a minute to discuss the ways we are coping with a relentlessly stressful administration in a segment we call how to handle the dicks katie is doing it by having horrible opinions about working actors <laughs> every day okay but guys seriously what are we doing to handle the dicks what are you doing you go first me okay i am starting a class it's a six-week class of lifting the heaviest thing you can <laughs> <laughs> what's graduation like i don't know you lift something heavier than you've ever lifted before. Like a car? Like, mm, like a desk. That'd be cool. That's cool. Your fitness commitment has been, I mean this very sincerely, very inspiring <laughs> to me. You're like very physically strong. Um, I mean I'm, this very insincerely. It's been a joy to watch you <laughs> get fitter than me. I've loved it. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I didn't I'm just think of kidding. my how to handles before. Okay, well now, I have mine. So it's, it's fitness related. Um, sorry I'm being such a dick on this podcast. Big time dick. Okay, okay like yeah. the shock jock. Yeah. <laughs> Big time dick. Yeah, if you had a soundboard, you would be doing farts over and over and we'd be like, stop. <laughs> okay. What are you doing? I um recently purchased a robot vacuum. Ooh. That's how oh. I've been handling the dicks. And I run it every day and it gives me the sense of control over my environment. It's are not you? a Roomba. It's the knockoff Roomba because Roombas are like 900 bucks. This was a Roomba dupe. Yeah, it's a Roomba dupe. Um, <laughs> it's called a EcoVac or something. I don't really know. It doesn't matter what it's called. I love it. Are your floors like noticeably better? Yes. And so is the rest of my life. <laughs> I'm telling you, this thing has helped me handle the dicks more than anything else. I love That's this thing. Great. I reached down and pet it the other day. Oh. Well, sort of. I, I like sort of moved to, I subconsciously <laughs> moved to pet it. I didn't actually pet it because I'm not insane. But I am a little insane. <laughs> but I love this thing. I didn't know how much it would change my outlook on the dicks. But boy, has it. It's like I can't control anything, but I can control how clean my floors are. Definitely. I mean, I can't. I wish I, I need that item because this morning I stepped on a leaf in my living room and I left it there. You should just pick up a leaf. I mean, that's easy. Um, but no, I'm sorry. I'm not here to shame you. I didn't. More shock jockey from <laughs> Kelly. I'm just telling you, if I had a room, I wouldn't even have to like make the choice. It really yeah. does feel so good to walk around on clean floors, though. It's, it's so like a nice. gift you give yourself. Yes. Definitely. And I gave myself that, that gift this month. It makes, you, it. it makes you feel like 20% richer, I think. I think Way so more too. than 20. 40. I was like surprised not to see myself in the Paradise Papers. You know, that's how rich I feel now that I have this robot vacuum. It's so great. Ka Katie, you're doing something that you were talking about when I came in, but I didn't hear. I did an escape room this oh, weekend. What? And did you win? We need a sound effect okay. there. Did he success? Crazy Ira in the douche style. <laughs> <laughs> 
resided in an escape room um, with a group of women. It was really fun. Um, ours, and I'm not here. I'm like, I mean, I don't even want to say this. But ours had a only a 16% success rate. Shut up. And we did it. What was it? Damn. What was the theme? Spy? So I'm not here to like do spawn con for this escape room company. Because we don't even know what it's called. I don't know what it's called. Someone else put it. I am here to do spawn con for <laughs> Ecovac knockoff Roombas. However. I'm here to do the opposite of spawn con for <laughs> Aiden from Sex of the City. <laughs> um, so the room, we did a one that was Cold War themed and like the whole point was a, like to deactivate a nuclear bomb. Yes, I did this also. And so, like, I felt like there were just, like, small breakthroughs in, like, moment to moment that were really satisfying. But I largely just felt very dumb. And I think all of us, I think we were talking about it afterwards, where, like, all of us felt dumb almost the whole time. (laughs) But you only need to be not dumb for, like, the portion of time that you need to be not dumb is, like, 20 seconds for, like, every five minutes that pass. And there was enough of us that we, like, all, it, like, brought it together in time that, like, as the clock's winding down, they give you an hour and there's, like, all these clues and you're just, like, turning the room apart and, like, going through, like, like drawers and turning up, opening books that have but codes. Did anyone, like, have stuff. a fit? Did anyone be like, shut up? Just At one like, point, um, my you know friend I mean? and I— they snap? There's, like, a guy who was a CIA agent who, like, worked for the company who was, like, our, like, guide who would, like, periodically check in the room. And I was, like, very suspicious of him from the start. I thought, like, I think that oh, this so guy— this is strangers. Well, so, no, there's no, just one I employee. Was, like, there's just one oh, employee oh, who, like, kind of walks you through the process or whatever. And I was very skeptical of him. And I was, like, I bet that he's actually the bad guy. And this, I had no reason to think this. Literally, before we even learned a single thing about the story, I was, like, I bet he's the bad guy. But my friend and I, he came in the room to, like, check on something that, like, wasn't functioning properly. And my friend and I both screamed because we were scared. <laughs> so I was scared. I had a small outburst. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Big Time Dicks. This show is produced by Levi Sharp and Mondana Mofidi is our executive director of audio. We featured music by Stuart Wood and Aaron Leader, and the episode was mixed by Corey Schreppel. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so other people can find the show. And you can also find us on Panoply, NPR One, or wherever you get your podcasts. Got a Big Time Dick you want to tell us about? Send us a voice note or email to bigtimedicks at jezebel.com or tweet at Jezebel using the hashtag Big Time Dicks. We'll see you next Tuesday, and who knows what the world will look like then.